good day to be indigenous. Get up, stand up. They are going to become more brutal. Cody Cup, hit me, cut again. Because all the hippies are trying to be Indians anyway. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. Hey, Victor. We must live in balance with the earth. And also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I am awake. Welcome to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Wakanja Hare. Hey, Karagiwina, you're listening to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. Hey, we discuss local and national Native news and events, and as you know, you two, Native issues are human issues, and human issues are Native issues. Yes, you are right, Dega. This portion of the show is supported by Native American Community Clinic on Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis, honoring health and tradition. You know, I say this every show, but we have a special show today. We got Wendy showing up, and uh, when uh, we've been on the air for seven years now, uh, and it's an amazing ride, and you're one of the founders, and we think back when we, we started at uh, the studio out in Eden Prairie, and uh, Choka did a, a, a prayer beforehand and smudged us off. And uh, here we are seven years later, when It's amazing. I can't believe it. That It doesn't seem that long. It really doesn't. No. Well, you know, we got a couple of uh, things we want to talk about. I think we might have Dr. Stately stopping in today. Uh, he might be at the beach because it's damn near 70 degrees here in Minnesota, Wendy. That's unbelievable. I was escaping... St. Paul, Minnesota, to come to New York, where it's generally a little bit warmer this time of year, like in, in February, uh, the high and the average temperature is around 40 degrees. So, uh, you know, the people here think that that is so cold and they bundle up, they even put sweaters on their dogs. But for <laughs> me, <laughs> 40 degrees is a really nice temperature. Hey, you two, uh, Wendy, I want to give a quick shout out to our friend Maureen Hackett, Wendy. Uh, we've known her for, she was like, uh, Hauling for Wolves was like one of our first sponsors here. Mm-hmm. That's right. Happy birthday, Dr. Maureen Hackett. Thank you for everything that you do, and thank you for supporting Native Hoots Radio. So, Haley, what sign is uh, the doctor? Oh, uh, yes. Well, her birthday. So that means she's a Pisces, which was my favorite because that's I'm a Pisces. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. Happy birthday. And uh, Haley's birthday's coming up, too. And I don't know if you're uh, registered anywhere, but uh, let our audience know so they can hook you up with a uh, party uh, with a gift. Yeah, that's a good idea. I should get a little registry going for <laughs> all of you out there. Well, one of the, one of the things I also want to bring up too, we talked a little bit about before the show is the Ho Chunk Museum in Wisconsin, uh, building uh, right down the road, not that far away, maybe two or three buildings away, burned down, and uh, all those artifacts, uh, Winnebago and Ho Chunk artifacts in the museum, were uh, really at risk. In the nation, I have to give a shout out to the Ho Chunk people came in hundreds out there and helped evacuate all the art and uh, all the beading and all the things that uh, are irreplaceable. So I just want to give a quick uh, big shout-out to the uh, Ho-Chunk Nation citizens and the people that helped out with uh, that big fire at the museum. 
Yeah, I yeah, that was scary. And to see that on social media, I know President John Greendeer uh, was there going live and just to see it is so scary. I haven't been to the museum in person yet myself. So I I was concerned, like, I know it's in that building where they're all connected, different businesses. So mm-hmm. it was scary. And, and you know, it was really um, I was happy to hear that Governor Tony Evers had reached out directly to um, Ho-Chunk President John Greendeer, as well as the museum. Can't say enough about him. Uh, he's uh, really pro-Native and a lot of really good things with uh, Governor Evers. And, of course, he sends us a, a weekly and bi-weekly update here on Native Roots Radio and really uh, appreciative of that. Wendy, I, I don't know. we got a few minutes here. And um, we, we've kind of talked a little bit uh, in the last few days here on Native Roots Radio about the Alabama IVF uh, deal, and I know like all the politicians know that uh, that's not a good thing, and you even have Trump and the uh, Republicans uh, disavowing what they did. Yeah, it's really sad to hear it. I, I mean, literally, my blood is boiling. Uh, we have family members, and I have friends who needed to, you know, go through the route of IVF to be able to have children to be able to become parents um you know one out of six couples in the united states right now have problems with infertility so we really have to be careful about who we put into office who we're voting for what policies that they support and don't support we need to put people into office who are going to support women and support women's rights there are people in Alabama right now, couples in Alabama right now, who have frozen embryos and who are going through treatment right now. This treatment, you know, if I know family members who have gone through it. This is emotionally, physically, mentally draining. And now that they can't do anything right now, their, their treatment is stopped. The problem is also that they can't even move their embryos out of Alabama and bring them to a different state to continue their treatment, it just stopped. Like everything just stopped. And they have to wait to see what the court is finally going to rule on. But why should a court anywhere in the United States or elsewhere rule on whether a family, a couple, could have a child through IVF and, and with their embryos? You know, a a chicken egg is not a chicken. A seed is not a flower. An embryo is not a child. It's it's really very upsetting. Um, I mean, I I just want to say this too: if you're out there and you vote Republican, and you have children or you have grandchildren through the means of IVF, you are voting against them, and that is my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, Wendy, we have Dr. Stately on listening in too, and he can jump in if he'd like. But I feel like, and I and I know I shouldn't say the word I feel like because uh, we got those videos you're sending me on how to how to talk. Uh, but I, I believe that this is an attack on women, and this is unbelievable. Yes. So when you say "Make America Great Again," I, they're not talking about the '50s. I think they're talking about the '20s, the 1920s. It's crazy. Hey, Dr. Stately. I think it could possibly be the 1800s. 
Seriously. You know, like, you know, you know, we're talking little house on the prairie type uh, interventions here. Um, <clears throat> anyway, that was probably a bad analogy, actually, given you know, the fact that we live in live in Minnesota and we know what they did to Minnesota. So, anyway. Right. Um, but yes, hi. Hello. Yes, it's true. Uh, egg is not a chicken. In fact, we don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg. <laughs> and, um, that, I, just that's not... that I just had that conversation with my kids the other day. So like, I was just going to well, say, did you, I was just going to say, did you hear that on that other station or something? That was profound there. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> but, um, but I did say like, you know, well, I think that probably, I don't know. It could be like, you know, what do you call it? Um, considered narcissistic perhaps for me to add, add, say this comment but if i were creator i probably would make the chicken first mm. because then you know then it could lay eggs yeah that, may, that <laughs> anyway. makes sense well dr stately you know and then, thanks- I, and, then I, and then i and then i and then i told him i said well actually the chicken didn't come first first there were dinosaurs and then those evolved into chickens and other birds that we have so just to be clear like you know just this craziness that we're talking about like you know, we evolve as human beings even if they're even if they are operating with their 1920s brain we are in the 2020 2021s or 20, yeah. 2020s like evolve people evolve Exactly. Hey, we're with, uh, this is a reunion show with Wendy Pilot and Dr. Stately, Haley and myself. You're listening to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake and we'll be right back after this short break. Unwanted sexting or photos, inappropriate jokes, even tickling or wrestling can feel like a violation. Catcalling, cornering, or groping, getting them drunk or high for sex, recording sexual acts without permission. Hurting someone because of their sexual orientation, ripping a family member, a child, a date, a friend, a stranger. Purchasing a human being for sex. You make the choice every single time. Sexual violence is many things. Make a choice. Do not do it. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. The city of Minneapolis is now on Native Roots Radio with Minneapolis AIR. AIR stands for American Indian Relations. Guest host Christine McDonald talks to people about important things affecting the city's native communities. Minneapolis Air dives into topics like public safety, public health, elections, and so much more. Tune in to Minneapolis Air on Native Roots Radio from 5 to 6 p.m. on the second Wednesday of every month, right here on AM 950. As we pack away the ornaments and bid farewell to the holiday season, it's time to unwrap the gift that keeps on giving, getting protected by a COVID-19 vaccination. This is your chance to make a difference, especially as our Native communities face higher COVID numbers. Those higher numbers underscore the need for collective action. So answer the call and get vaccinated. The latest vaccines are not just authorized, but they're proven effective against the current variants. This is extra protection, even if you've already had previous vaccines, since previous vaccines will eventually wear off. Plus, the new shots are FDA approved for ages six months and up. A COVID vaccine is not just a shot. It's a pledge to safeguard the wisdom and stories handed down by our elders. So join the movement, get vaccinated and make 2024 the healthiest year ever ever securing a brighter future for our Native community. 
For more information, including details about clinics offering free vaccines, visit vaccines.gov. You're listening to Native Roots Radio. This is Spirit from Reservation Dogs. Get up and listen. Welcome back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by All My Relations Arts and their current gallery exhibit, Okizi, in partnership with the American Swedish Institute, running now until April 13th at 1414 East Franklin Avenue, Minneapolis. Hey, we're uh, having the reunion show here with Wendy Pilot and Dr. Stately. Uh, before we get going here a little bit, we I just got a, a text from our friend, State Representative Heather Keeler, and she wants to remind listeners that tomorrow are the caucuses. Get involved in local democracy. Protect Minnesota so we don't become Alabama. So she's been listening to our conversation. Big shout out to State Representative Heather Keeler, who you saw that, Haley and, uh, and Wendy, I did not call her Senator. Heather Keeler. Mm. Yeah, good job. Thank you. I did notice that. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Wendy, uh, this is an opportunity for you maybe to uh, like ask uh, Dr. Stately some questions here because uh, you two haven't been on together in quite a while. Well, what I always like to ask Dr. Stately is to talk about what he likes to talk about. That's what <laughs> I like to ask Dr. Yeah. Stately. So whatever's on his mind... And whatever he wants to talk about, that's what most—that's okay. what's most important. Exactly. Uh, well, thank you. Well, that's thoughtful. Thank you. Um, not that you're not thoughtful, Robert. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I was—I um, don't know. I'm thinking about a couple of different things. Like, there's—I um, got big projects that I'm working on um, right now. But one of the things that's—I um, <clears throat> think is top of mind so i i was at a i was on a um a round table this morning earlier today with um governor walls and angie craig um and i was with a group of people from the community house uh, sit, sit, sitting to my left was um uh shakopee police chief talking about the work that they're doing in shakopee to sort of kind of address the opioid crisis and the overdose crisis and um you know on my on my Right was a young woman um, named Hannah, who works with a organization called, um, you know, um, uh, Be the Change or something like that. Um, and they do; they're working with schools to, and um, trying to get uh, um, schools to um, support and distribute Narcan to their students and have Narcan available within their schools. Um, um, one of the other panelists was um, Holly. Oh, what was her name? I have her name. Holly. Holly was an amazing woman. Her son, um, or not Holly, Bridget. Bridget Noring was um, is the founder and president of um, the Devin Noring Foundation. Her son was a nineteen year old. Um, senior in high school who um, um, had a, died of an overdose in, in Hastings. And, um, you know, that's a small community that she, one of the things she talked about was she came from a small community and they didn't really even know um, what Narcan was. They didn't understand what fentanyl was. They had no knowledge of these things. And, like, I think <clears throat> um, 
one of the reasons I was on the panel was to talk a little bit about the work that NAC has been doing to address the opioid crisis in our community um, in South Minneapolis and across the state is, um, you know, through cultural healing and spiritual care services and doing culturally centered um, models of services around um, uh, medication assisted treatment and harm reduction services and street outreach. And, um, it was a really awesome talk, but one of the things that's really disturbing is that, like, and I just read an article about this a couple weeks ago um, in um, the news and also a, a research article that shows that the um, number of um, um, overdoses for children under the age of 18 is significantly climbing in the United States. Um, and we surpassed 1 million um um, overdose deaths um, this year, right? And I think it's um, you know over the over the over the life of the of the epidemic. But um, <clears throat> one of the um, the uh, the the police chief to my left, he he made the comment. He said, you know, we have. Um, he goes, I've been to the Vietnam Memorial, and he goes and saw all those names on the memorial and he goes we are we are at this the place in time where we have now lost like two the, the the equivalent of two vietnam war um uh, um uh victims um due to the opiate crisis and so to be having these conversations about like should we have um teenagers and kids in school having narcan because even though the state passed a law about this um, there are still a lot of schools and a lot of other institutions that are re reluctant and reticent about allowing children to have Narcan because it's considered to be a medicine uh, or a medication, um, those kinds of things. <clears throat> and I wanted to make this statement at the on the panel, and I just like you know, I got busy talking about the work we're doing, but it, it dawned on me, like I said, you know, the problem that we're having here is like we can't have a conversation, and we need to have a con the kind, kind of conversation we need to be having at decision-making tables among policymakers and families and in schools and with school districts and, and principals and those kinds of things is to recognize a couple of different things. One is like, you know, Narcan and, uh, and Naloxone, these are things that, these, these are things that prevent us from people from dying from um, fentanyl and um, opiate poisoning, right? Um, a lot of times, sometimes, especially if it's a younger person, they don't know that the fentanyl is inside the thing. So it's not intentional that they're um, that they're taking the drug. Sometimes it's snuck into some other form of form of something. And I said, I want you to all just think about you know, because I think you know we're all like you know probably in our forties, fifties, sixties here. The people in the rooms, not not everybody's that age, but certainly a lot of the policymakers, right? And I said. <clears throat> Does anybody remember back in the day when you could drive a car without a seatbelt? <laughs> and you could drive and you could drive in your car and have your kids in the back seat without a seatbelt and without a car seat and all these other things. Like, well, we know that like, you know, there's there's simple practices and things that we can do to save people's lives, right? Like we know through evidence and a bunch of other things that, you know, something as simple as putting a seatbelt on, putting our putting our kid in the car seat and driving them with a car seat that 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 this saves lives right and um you know just think of the number of lives that were saved from a some from a simple intervention so comparatively think of naloxone and narcan the same way it's not going to harm somebody to have naloxone there's no there's no 
nothing that's actually going to harm somebody if they accidentally take Narcan, right? It's an opioid inhibitor or, um, you know, agonist. So to have this policy and this practice and this mindset of like, oh, we shouldn't give Narcan to children. It could be harmful. Well, there's nothing they can actually do to somebody else, another human being, even if it was accidental. Um, and so many children live with parents who are other adults around them who are um, and older, older siblings who are using um, uh, opioids either accidentally or purposefully. And it's like the, we are we are not going to work our way out of this condition and this situation if we are not prioritizing saving people's lives. Like you cannot get anybody to recover if they're dead. You don't give them. You don't have an opportunity to help somebody. You know, um, get back on a path of like well-being and recovery if they're if they're if they're deceased. It's a it's it's a tremendous loss of life. And here we are, twenty years into this epidemic, and it is just gutting. Um, the 19 to 34 year old sort of met, um, uh, group of individuals, like we are just seeing these holes in our communities where parents and and are not able to raise their children because they're because they're they're orphaning them, right? Grandparents are raising them, other people are raising them. So it's like in this in this discussion, I said like if you care about children, like give them the tools that they need to do to sort of kind of manage a world that they, uh, the world they live in now, like you might not have contended with this when you were a child, but the world as we know it today is so incredibly different than the one I grew up in, the one that you grew up in. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not right for us to not allowing children to have access to life-saving opportunities for their, for their peers for themselves, for their family members, and the people they love, and it's not harmful at all. It's actually um, the best. It's you know, it's an act of love to give that to them. Yeah, yeah, uh, I totally agree, and especially uh, you know, Minnesota becoming legal in marijuana just in a nick of time because fentanyl's been put marijuana in now, or fentanyl's been in marijuana lately. So yeah. people people can take that. Did you, and did you mean? Did you mean to say right in the nicotine of time? I thought you yeah, said you heard you say oh, nicotine of time. Oh. Is that a pun? What? What? I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> cool. Well, you, I, no, and I agree, and that's that's so important. And when you were talking about that, when you were talking about that, I was thinking of when I was young, and it's like, we had a lot of stuff that our parents didn't agree with. <laughs> and I mean, I'm sure the kids nowadays do too. Why not have something that can help and save somebody? Yeah. I think it's directly tied to like this idea we have in our, in our society as like, you know, um, demonizing and stigmatizing drug users. Like there's, like they're somehow yeah. defective and they're somehow different than me, right? And I said this in the round table. I said, like, nobody comes to this earth out of their mother's womb, uh, the birth canal, with the desire to become a drug addict. They don't come, come out of the womb desiring to be homeless, desiring mm -hmm. to be mentally ill, desiring to have a life of, you know, of, of, of challenges and a life of, um, you know, just sheer despair. Nobody wants that. They don't come with that. There's a bunch of stuff that happens to us in our life trajectory that causes that. And that's what we have to deal with. Yeah, thanks, uh, Dr. Stately. Hey, you're listening to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and we're going to be right back uh, right after this short break. 
Stay with us. This is uh, Leonard Peltier. I am in uh, Coleman 1, U.S. Penitentiary, and I'm listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Uh, just a quick shout out to uh, Leonard Peltier, the longest uh, uh, political prisoner, serving political prisoner in the United States history. Uh, this past weekend, uh, there was a celebration, too, of uh, the occupation of Wounded Knee, the 51st, an- 51st anniversary this past week. And I just want to give everybody a shout out uh, that went I went to Wounded Knee and uh, all the people that occupied those 73 days in uh, 1973. Hey, we're here with Dr. Stately and Wendy Pilot and Haley Cherry. Uh, we're kind of talking, kind of roundtabling it right now. And I just have to say this, Wendy. I always say in honor of Wendy, I always say, what would you like to talk about? So that's in honor of Wendy, Wendy being on in here. Dr. Stately, what else would you like to talk about? Um, well, I mean, I think that that's a robust discussion. One of the things I didn't get to say at that roundtable, which I think is a really important um, conversation starter, and I think I want, <clears throat> my hope is that I can, you know, um, help sort of advocate for families to be thinking about this and talking about it at the, you know, at the dinner table, at the, you know, at the bingo table, the card table, any table you're going to be at in the near future, like when you're with gathering with your relatives, you know, have an intentional conversation about, you know, the, um, you know, the scale of need in our community around, um, around houselessness um, is probably one of the defining moments in our time in history. I had a conversation with um, a young man that we, Mac is, you know, as you know, is building a new building. We're in the process of sort of like, you know, um, um, raising the funding for our new clinic with the four floors of housing that we're going to build above it. And one of one of the conversations I was having late last week was with a young man that we're hiring to sort of kind of be our owners rep in that um, project. And that jo- that person's job is just going to hold hold all of the um, all of the pieces with all the different contractors and all the different architectural groups. Like, you know, there's a lot of specificity for housing architecture, there's a lot of specificity for um, clinic design and closet. Oh, I just saw the Dakota, oh, weird, um, Dakota land bus drive-by. That's pretty cool. Um, down Franklin Avenue. Um, <clears throat> and um, one of the things that I was talking about that, and he, he, he's a non-Indigenous man, um, so he was asking me questions about South Minneapolis and about the corridor and about like, you know, um, you know, give me a little bit more context about the, the houselessness issue here in South Minneapolis with Native people. And I said, <clears throat> well, um, and he and he told the story about how he had been working with a tribe in Montana and um, on a, early in his career and he had gone there to help them with a project. And um, there was um, they were looking at building some some stuff nestled into the mountains of, of, of the, um, um, outside of Browning. 
and he was talking to some of the tribal people there and he said um um i asked him like well why did you build these houses out here out on the plains like um where you're a little bit more vulnerable to some of the some of the um um uh um elements and stuff like that he goes and your housing is going to really be challenged and so he goes what and, and he said that an elder turned to him and said um do you think we picked this land to live on right <laughs> indicating like you know the idea of like you know reservation life it's a it's a form of forced assimilation and relocation right and so mm -hmm. i i reminded him of his earlier statement i said well do you think um, the native people chose south minneapolis to live in in the 50s when they were when we were um incentivized by um, relocation um, failed felt federal assimilation policy right to relocate us to the urban area leave our communities leave our families leave our um our social support system um, back home go to a new place a shiny city that promised jobs and education and economic um, stability and new homes and this amazing life and of course when we got here we got none of that right mm -hmm. and i said you know we ended up here in in south minneapolis um, which is an area that was originally um, uh, settled by the the norwegian people who immigrated here early right and settled some of this area and um, it was no longer desirable and this is why how we and a lot of the black and other people ended up in this area and then they put a highway then a, a couple of highways and a couple of freeways through our through our um, community and created all mm -hmm. kinds of challenges for us um so we ended up in this situation not by our own choice and certainly by the design either intentional or unintentional and, un and unthinking design of people who made decisions at the policy level to sort of like you know um think of us as throwaway community, like you can do whatever you want to those people there. Um, and so I think it's important that you understand that historical context, that arc. I said, but here's the other thing I want you not to lose sight of. Like the cultural corridor is a representation of our strength and our resilience as indigenous people. Yes, we had all these things happen to us, but any, every, anything and everything that's pretty much been significantly large and meaningful uh, in Minnesota or across the United States, Indian Education, Indian Child Welfare Act, um, American Indian Movement, all those things, they started here because because we the people got tired and they rose up. Mm -hmm. And look what we created. We created this amazing cultural corridor with mm -hmm. tremendous rich history and uh, a history of community engagement and community organizing and activism that has like built 26 to 30 organizations across the the Twin Cities that serve our community. No other city in the, in the United States has that, wow. has that record, has that infrastructure. That's who we are. And that's who are, who, who we will, we will rise up, we will come out of this and we will rise up and we will, we will rebuild our community and we will rebuild our city. And guess what? When we do that, the city will benefit all of the other people around us. They'll, they'll, they'll benefit from it as well. Absolutely. You know, when, uh, we do better, we all do better, everybody. you know, yeah. everybody yeah. does better. Um, yeah. Great words, Dr. Staley. Uh, and, uh, great work that you're doing on, on the corridor too, the native corridor. Uh, we love going there. We love going to, to the, to the art, to see art, to go to the coffee shop and, and see our relatives. Gallery. 
Right? Yeah, and you know. Yeah, it's getting warm out pretty soon. The Four <laughs> Sisters Market's going to open up. I'm going to see you every single Thursday. I'm going to be there. No. That's right. That's right. And then, uh, yeah, well, tomorrow it's supposed to snow, but today was a glorious day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of a, like that weird in between. I call, I say there's like Minnesota now has five seasons, maybe yeah. three, kind of depending on your perspective. But, you know, you got, you got your fall, you got your winter, you got your in between winter and summer or spring, and then you got your spring, and then you got like, you know, two weeks of, two weeks of spring, and then you got, nine months of summer or maybe the other way around. I don't know. Anyway, the point is, is there's a fifth season there. It's called the in-between season. Well, normally we don't have the nine months of summer, but we're kind of looking at that this way. It's usually two months, yeah, right? This what? year it feels like nine months of summer. It's like we yeah. have two weeks of winter. Good thing uh, Wendy has this bee garden out in front or I'd have to be uh, cutting the grass again here soon. Right, Wen? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I'm just a little worried about all our little bugs and pollinators. I don't want them to wake up right now because there's no food for them. There's no flowers for them. Yeah. There's nothing for them and they'll die. So, and yeah. and then I get worried, like people are going to get antsy and they want to like, you know, clean up their yard and then they get the leaf blowers out and blow away all the little creatures that are still yeah. underneath the leaves trying to survive. So just hold off on it. Yeah, I see some trees, you know, and I, I, you know what I just heard? I heard you give me permission to not do a damn thing in my yard for several. Yes. No mowing. No mowing. Don't do anything until June first. Yeah, I'm with you. Are consistently over fifty degrees for at least two weeks. You could do that. I'm too. with you. I'm going to sit on my couch until June 1st watching, you know, Netflix and eating bonbons. And if anybody ever criticizes me, I'm going to say, well, Wendy Pilot said I should not do anything. That's right. It was on the radio. It was, you know. It was on the radio. These are facts. Yeah. Well, I know, I know I appreciate no mo summer. (laughs) 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 That's uh, one thing off my chores, but, uh, right. (laughs) It, it it is uh, the resilience of uh, our people and our allies that have helped us through these things. Because, like when you talk about the government changing and looking into this, we need our allies too to mm-hmm. understand mm-hmm. what's going on, and we, we appreciate we them. Do. I was having this conversation with some young person. I won't say their name because you know they're entitled to some anonymity. Text me. But if they're listening, they, but, but if they're listening, they know who they are. <laughs> so we were talking about like you know how they like oh I don't want to have children. This world is going to collapse and end. Where you know the earth is just going to like we're destroying the earth. It's going to die. Mm. I was like, um, <clears throat> I just want to wake you up to something here, sweetheart. <laughs> I said the earth probably isn't going to die. We'll die. Right. Right. We're going to die. <laughs> but the earth, she is powerful and she is amazing and she is going to regenerate herself and. Mm-hmm. We have, a, we have some decisions to make now as human beings. Do we want to be on this planet or do we not want to be here? Because I'm pretty sure that the earth is going to take care of herself. Right. Right. And, um, and we, we have to make some decisions now about whether or not we still want to be here in, you know, 100 years or 200 years or 300 years. We got to make some of those decisions now. So, Absolutely. Like, you know, don't be mistaken. The earth is going to be fine. Yep. We're going to be gone. Yeah, exactly. And I, th- I think a lot of people have that misnomer too. And it's like, no, 
Uh, Mother Earth will cleanse itself after <laughs> maybe a couple hundred well, years. Well, I mean, you know, read the Bible, <laughs> read a few other things. There's been a lot of cataclysmic things that have, like, you know, erased erased human life forms off of the Earth, right? So, like, you know, she has a way of taking care of herself when we don't treat her well. So, like, you know, you know, like, you know, just try to remember that. Well, I always said that uh, I'm glad I'm my age that I am right now, the way things are going. But now Wendy and I have, uh, it's been official on Facebook today that we have uh, grandchildren coming. So now I have to renege on that. And, and uh, our Weeha, Jelaine, and Micah are having a boy and a girl. And uh, I'm going to call them Robert nice. and Bobby. Ho oh, <laughs> Hey, Dr. Like Stately. name Anthony. Yeah. Hey, Dr. Stately, thanks for coming on, and we'll see you soon. Right on. Hey, this is Native Roots Radio. Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake. Up next, Wendy with their Sacred Animal section. We'll be right back. Hey, if you're like a lot of people, you're probably relieved that the holiday celebrations are over. But there's one thing that might stay with us from the holidays besides all those gifts, and that's COVID-19. Numbers from COVID are going up as we spend more time inside. And Native Americans are seeing even bigger case spikes. With all the indoor celebrations over the holidays, you may have unknowingly been exposed to someone with COVID-19. That's why it's important to stay vigilant. If you notice any symptoms like a fever, a tickle in the throat, or heavy fatigue, Take an at-home test. They're still free and can be ordered at sayyeshometest.org. If you do test positive, you're eligible for free treatment. And no health insurance is required. Visit health.state.mn.us to connect with providers and receive your treatment. Let's make 2024 the healthiest year ever, securing a brighter future for our Native community. Minnesota has the only original wolf population in the continental United States. And 80% of Minnesotans believe the wolf should be protected. Howling for Wolves is asking Minnesotans to respect our true wildlife manager, the wolf. Their survival is critical to our ecosystems, our communities, and even our economy. As highly intelligent animals with strong social bonds, Minnesota wolves deserve to be protected and admired. Learn more at howlingforwolves.org. Let's, Let's live, live and, and let howl. howl. Now is a perfect and exciting time to plan your next National Eagle Center adventure. When you visit this winter season, you can meet and learn all about the newest bald eagle ambassador, Perseus. Plus, the center is your headquarters for winter eagle information and experiences, including weekly winter bald eagle counts, golden eagle information, unforgettable expert-led field trips, and small group private eagle habitat tours for your family and friends. Make eagles part of your 2024 and plan your visit or experience today online at nationaleaglecenter.org. Anine, I'm Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan, and you are listening to Native Roots Radio. Welcome back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. How? How? 
Hey, I want to introduce my awesome and beautiful wife, Wendy. Wendy's been an animal advocate for many years, and she's a co-founder of this Native Roots radio show back seven years ago. And uh, she uh, discusses our sacred animals, and people just love this. I have people coming up to me all the time when we were at the AM 950 uh, little get-together with listeners. They were all asking about you and telling me how much they enjoy your uh your segment so it's great to have you on on a wednesday and on a monday i mean and uh take it away take it away wendy <laughs> i don't know what day it is right yeah it doesn't matter what day because you know what sometimes we re-air our segments so it could be friday for all we know right <laughs> hey everybody my name is Hanaji hihani that means cares for them i was given that name by my dega curtis curtis goes by mashke hanajingo which means walks on white clouds I'm a humane policy volunteer leader for the Humane Society of the United States, and I work on animal issues at the local and state level. It's always my pleasure to do that. I am in uh, New York, and I've been here for a little while, but I wanted to, in the news here in New York, people have been talking about a bird named Flaco. Now, Flaco is a Eurasian eagle owl who escaped from New York City Central Park last year. And Flaco, uh, somebody vandalized his cage and made a big hole in the netting where he was in. And Flaco got out. And for the past year, he's lived in uh, Central Park. Now, this Eurasian eagle owl had brought people from all over to come to find him and see him and uh, get their binoculars out and look at him in Central Park. Birders, people who like birds, uh, all came around to see this beautiful bird. And the people at the zoo were really worried about him uh, because they didn't know whether he could survive or not because he's been in, kept in captivity uh, for his whole life. Um, so uh, we'll talk about zoos a different day. All I want to say about zoos is, you know what, when I was a kid, I loved zoos because I loved animals. But as mm -hmm. an adult, I hate zoos because I love animals. And that's all I'm going to say about that right now. Getting back to Flaco, uh, so the, the zoo uh, decided that it would really be more dangerous for Flaco and people if they tried to um, engage and try to uh you know, capture him to bring him back to the zoo. So they were just like, well, let's see what happens. We'll keep our fingers crossed and let Flaco live in um, New York City Central Park. And Flaco did. Flaco had a great life for a year. I'm sure he had lots of trials and tribulations. Uh, I hope, hopefully, he helped the rat and mice population, right? <laughs> and that's how he kind of survived. Um, but what I want to bring up here is that they found, uh, unfortunately, they found Flaco dead and they found, they didn't know really what happened. Like they were like, oh my God, how the, how did this beautiful Eurasian um, owl uh, eagle die? So they were worried about rodenticides um, because there's a lot of uh, pesticides and rodenticides trying to get rid of the um, mice and rat population in New York City. So they thought maybe he got a, a mouse or a rat that was already poisoned with rodenticides. Uh, but after an autopsy, they discovered that 
um, Plato flew into glass into the mm. building, and that's how Plato mm. passed away. So, um, of course, this brings up like a lot of controversy about what to do. What should we do in New York City? What should we do around um, the world uh, to to help protect these birds? Um, I have a couple of statistics here. Let me just find here. So Flaco is among the estimated 1 billion birds that will die this year in the United States after striking buildings. That's a lot of birds. A billion birds is a lot of birds. Building strikes are one of the main causes of death for birds. I didn't know that either. Oh, wow. Yeah, I thought it was maybe cats. You know, people let their cats out. And that is a high number, too. I don't have the number in front of me, but it is. Um, One of the easiest threats to solve, according to Christine Shepard, director of the Glass Collisions Program at the American Bird um, Conservatory, um, is to fix the glass on the windows. Um, there's been a lot of windows, and since 2019, New York City put a law in that any new building put up has to have um, specially treated windows to prevent these bird strikes. So I'm really happy about that. But we all know New York City is an older city, and most cities in the United States were built before 2019. Um, but a lot of buildings have put these, um, you know, panes up on the window, like just sheer, clear, um, I don't know what it is, if it's plastic or what it's made out of, but it has like a pattern on it so that the birds don't mistake in the glass for a reflection that they see, that's what happens, or what they see inside uh, the building. Mm. Um, It was really interesting reading this article um, because... It really showed, it really told me that it's not the really big high rises that are the problem. It's the low rise buildings uh, Mm. that the birds fly into. And it's really during the migratory uh, period. Uh, And a lot of the bird strikes also happen at night. Uh, So a lot of cities, yeah. Uh, A study published in the Wilson Journal of uh, ornithology concluded that between 621 million and 1.7 billion birds die in the United States each year because of building strikes. New York City's Autobahn scientists estimate that about 250,000 birds die in the city each year after such collisions. Uh, The problem is most acute during the spring and fall migratory air times and mainly affects small migratory songbirds. Uh, So, and then it said, what kind of buildings are the most dangerous? And it is the shorter buildings, which I was surprised to hear about. Uh, Windows that are less than 100 feet from the ground are most likely to reflect Uh, vegetation, and to give birds the impression of flying towards a tree or open sky. Hmm. So that's why, yeah. Birds don't see glass, Jessica Wilson, executive director of New York City's Autobahn, said um, what they see is what's on the other side or what's reflected. Hmm. So 
Flaco was nearly 14 years old and had lived most of his life at the Central Park Zoo. Uh, he had roamed free since last February after someone cut an open um, of the mesh on his enclosure. And it was an act of vandalism and they never found out who did that. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's kind of a little bit of a sad story here, but it also is bringing awareness about what needs to be done with the buildings and how people can, you know, if you live in a, if you live in a migratory um, area where there's lots of songbirds, uh, you might, I've never seen like at our house in St. Paul, I've never seen any dead birds around our um, house so that I would not suspect that a bird would fly into any of our windows. Uh, but if I did find dead birds around our house and suspected that that could be the cause, I would definitely put up those um, sheets on my windows so that there would be, uh, the birds wouldn't be able to see that reflection of the trees and think that they were flying into trees. But rest in peace, Flaco. I'm glad that you had a year of freedom. And now you are really free to fly wherever you'd like. Wow, good call, Wendy. Really, thank you so much. Peeny Gigi, Wendy. And Peeny Gigi for being on the show all that night, uh, just like old times. Yeah. Cool. Hey, yeah. we're, still, we're still here. We are the seventh generation. And free Leonard, Leonard Peltier. Peltier. Now. Right on. <laughs>